This week on Emerge Mobile First, a conversation with Robert Moore, founder and CEO of Workframe. One of the things I discovered about this industry was that it is, and it's not just the design component, the overall sort of commercial interiors industry. It's a really antiquated, heavily intermediated space that effectively is devoid of technology. And I saw a really big opportunity to come in and basically improve outcomes for clients. Welcome to Mobile First. You'll find bonus tools, expanded information, and key takeaways on our website, EmergeMobileFirst.com. For a quick and effective way to level up your mobile strategy, again, that's EmergeMobileFirst.com. In this episode, we explore market expansion of an Uber-like model for the commercial interior design industry with our guest, Robert Moore. We'll hear about their experience rapidly scaling as a startup, with a closer look at the indicators that prompted their expansion, the hurdles they've overcome, and the specific steps they took to effectively overcome these hurdles to scale. Robert Moore is the founder and CEO of Workframe, a startup that is using technology to reinvent the commercial interior design industry. Robert is a startup enthusiast with a passion for technologies that make the world more connected, efficient, and sustainable. He completed his MBA at the Yale School of Management with a concentration in finance and entrepreneurship. Hey, Robert, thanks for joining us today. I'm really stoked to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, and uh, I'm really excited, you know, you being an entrepreneur, because I come from a big entrepreneur background, a huge proponent of entrepreneurship and really the methods that go along with that and to validate ideas. And so uh, really excited to learn about your path. And so before we dig into the path that got you to where you are with Workframe, uh, what are you most passionate about? Yeah, great question. So, you know, when I think about what gets me up in the morning every day uh, coming into work, the thing that I'm most excited about is applying technology and, uh, you know, kind of thinking about processes in a different way that can have kind of a really big impact on an existing industry, right? So, you know, the things that I look for as business opportunities and the thing that led me to found the company that I'm, that I'm with today, Workframe, has been largely centered around that. You know, where are the opportunities to apply technology to kind of arcane processes and kind of make a paradigm shift in the way that people think about the industry. So I'd say that's my, that's kind of my core sort of center of excitement and why I'm passionate about what I do. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm excited to dig into the things that allow for Warframe to scale. And I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to pull some, some things from that process focus. Yeah. Awesome. And so I would like to also understand the path that you took to get to Workframe. So coming from you know, Deloitte and being an analyst to Workframe, can you maybe walk us through the learnings and transitions that you, you took to, to get to where you are? So maybe even the personal growth along the way would be great. Yeah, it was a long and meandering road. <laughs> I uh, studied philosophy in college, which, uh, which was awesome. And I loved it for a number of reasons. But you know, at the end of the day, went to grad school, largely thinking, hey, maybe I'll be an academic one day, maybe I won't. I decided not to go the academic route and and thought, you know, where can I just apply a lot of the kind of intellectual frameworks that I picked up in school and and add a lot of value in the commercial world. And consulting was a natural entry point for that. Um, So that's why I spent a very brief stint at Deloitte. Quickly realized that um, I wanted to move into finance. So, you know, at core, I've been kind of a finance guy a lot of my career. And so made made a transition over to Credit Suisse where I focused on M&A largely in the technology space. So that was what kind of started to pique my interest in tech. Did that for several years. And then sort of got the urge to be an operator, right? So investment banking is interesting, super analytical. There's lots of things I loved about it, but it was never sort of hands-on or operational enough. And I craved that. I craved to be 
sitting around the executive table after the deal was done, figuring out how to implement everything. Whereas, you know, we were just kind of walking away once things were done, they're largely in advisory capacity. So the bridge that I took kind of between the world of high finance and kind of entrepreneurship was a stint in venture capital. I was a venture fellow at a, a firm that focuses on kind of sustainable CSR type uh, startups in New York called SJF Ventures uh, and did that for a while uh, while I was in business school, actually. I took some time out to go to business school. And then that was kind of a segue into me becoming you know, somebody that works in, you know, in a small technology environment as an, as an operator. So the first job that I had kind of doing that was at a company called Intent Media, which is an ad tech business here in New York. Um, I ran, you know, business operations and insights, which was a pretty broad mandate, touching effectively all parts of the business, everything from analytics to sales operations, uh, owning FP&A for the organization, that kind of thing. I uh, did that for a few years and got tapped to come to a company called Contour, which was the precursor of what Workframe has become. Um, and that was kind of how I transitioned into, into this industry, which is around you know, commercial interior design. So, so that's kind of the, the path and, and how I got to where I am. Very interesting. So I, I understand the entrepreneurial route, but I guess why interior design? Well, I think I mentioned this a little bit in your first question, which was, you know, what gets you really excited? One of the things I discovered about this industry was that it is, and it's not just the design components, the overall sort of commercial interiors industry, which includes architecture, construction, the you know furniture, procurement, and installation, all of that stuff. It's a really antiquated, heavily intermediated space that effectively is devoid of technology. And I saw a really big opportunity to come in and basically improve outcomes for clients, for service providers, for just basically kind of reinvent the way that people think about designing and building an office space. That's what kind of led me to this. So it, was, it wasn't my sort of innate interest in design, although I do have an innate interest in design as kind of a side hobby. Uh, it was more that this industry felt really, really ripe for change. And I thought we had a great way to do that. So I think this is a great segue actually into Act 2. I wanted to jump there a little bit quicker than anticipated. But I think that, you know, talking about what led to Workframe, digging into, you know, some of the insights uh, there. Can you maybe start by telling us a little about Workframe, how it works and the business model? Totally. So what we've built is a turnkey platform for office design and build. So what that means, if you're a client, say you're a Series A or Series B funded company, you don't have a facilities person in-house to kind of oversee the design and build of your office. Typically, that falls to somebody like me or a member of senior management to kind of oversee that project day to day, right at uh, a key inflection point for the business where you know, you just raised some capital, you're trying to expand rapidly, and all of a sudden you find yourself focusing on this eight to 12 month design and build out process. And that's cumbersome, right? And so that was kind of the impetus for realizing there had to be a better way. You know, my co-founders and I have all been through that on the kind of client side in the past and all been frustrated by it. So we've essentially disintermediated the industry. You know, when you engage with us as Workframe, depending on the requirements of your project, we can help you find space. We can help you plan that space, sort of in the form of an architect and interior designer. Uh, we can help you do all of the procurement you need for that space, furniture, IT equipment, all of that stuff, IT cabling. If you need to build anything in the space, we've got general contractors that can do that. So rather than you going out and forming relationships with all of those individual entities, you come to us. It's a single point of contact, a single invoice, and it's much simpler. Um, and because we've built this network of service providers, that drives a bunch of scale economies and a lot of efficiency. And then the really magical piece of all of this is we brought technology to play, right? So there is a technology platform that we've developed that is really intuitive and client-centric that really helps them kind of understand at a kind of snapshot view 
you know, how is the, the project progressing versus plan? How are we performing versus budget? You can approve key decisions around your floor plan, around furniture bundles, all of that kind of thing directly on the platform. So it just drives a lot of accountability and it reduces kind of the friction in terms of like making decisions um, and have and the need for in-person meetings and all that kind of thing. So uh, the technology piece is a really key element of what we're doing and also a key element of our ability to scale. Got it. So you mentioned service providers. So is it more so a network platform or is it a service platform with the ability to tap into a larger service provider network? Yeah. So I'd say it's it's the latter. Okay. You know, on a day-to-day basis, the people that work on a project or people that we've assembled, we're very deliberate about growing our network of service providers. This is another thing that gets to our scalability, right? So we don't employ a thousand architects. We have a network of a thousand architects. So we've gone after those guys in a very sort of determined formulaic way. We look for very high caliber people who come from great firms who are doing their own, doing their own thing. Um, and, and we kind of assemble project teams from our network that kind of map to the opportunity on the client side that fit their requirements. Um, but we still brand the whole thing as work frame, right? If you went to go hire a big architecture firm, they wouldn't say, here's a thousand architects that work with us, pick whichever ones you want. They'd say, here's the best team that's, that's built for your purposes. Um, and that's the, that's the proposal that they get. So that's very much the way that we work too. I see. So I guess, how do you structure the deals then? Is it, is it like an hourly thing? Is it like we, you evaluate the whole, you know, service and then you provided like a quote up front or I guess, can you walk us through that model? We've done a lot of thinking around that. The, um, one of the things that's really differentiating about us is that we are fully transparent in the way that we price services. So we've got, we've got a methodology in house that we can basically talk to a client, see a floor plan and determine a, what their needs are and b what the pricing is per square foot in that office. Um, and so we can say to a client with very high certainty up front, this is what it's going to cost to get this done, with the exception of a few key items that the client has to provide budgetary input for. So that's like how much they want to spend on furniture is a very personal question, not one that we can dictate. There's a wide range. But how much you should pay your architect, that's something we can determine very clearly um, up front. Gotcha. Okay, very cool. So the company is just a little past a year old. I think I saw. Yeah. Would you consider this still a startup or, or more of the small business or what, what part of the life, life cycle do you think you're in? I'd say it's a startup. I mean, we've gotten a lot of traction and we're starting to grow really quickly. As with any fast growing young company, there's a lot of things that are in flux and things we're figuring out, which is I always look at those as good problems to have. But the environment still very much feels like a startup. And that's something I definitely want to preserve. That's important to me. Uh, and, you know, for now, we're still kind of based in New York. All of our project work is here. But over the next year, we're going to be branching out to other markets. And that's when it's going to start to feel a little bit bigger. But for now, I definitely still bucket us in the, in the startup category. Gotcha. So speaking of some of these focuses, what are those things that you're currently focusing on now to drive the business forward? Yeah, I, I think I just uh, told you about one of them, which is, you know, we've, we've basically proven the model here in New York. We've got great traction. I am thinking about, uh, you know, how to grow this business nationally, potentially internationally. So you know, my go-to-market strategy for markets two through 10 is kind of the thing that's top of mind for me. And we're very close to kind of opening up in a few adjacent markets. Um, so that's probably probably the biggest thing on my mind. It's been a very, you know, the commercial team. So everybody that kind of reports to me on the business side, who's not an engineer, has been pretty light for the last year. Um, and I've just now kind of gotten leverage in place. So we have a new finance person. We've got somebody running marketing. We've got a head of sales. So I'm now getting the leverage that I need to step back and think more strategically about our growth trajectory, which has been awesome. 
Um, so in addition to kind of go to market stuff, I'm thinking through, you know, right now our product is very geared towards tenants, right? So companies who are in the market for new office space, I think there are parallel products that are also really promising for, you know, building owners and landlords and that kind of thing. So, you know, new product strategy and go to market are the two things that are top of mind for me these days. Can you maybe talk through the strategy for going to a new market and some of the things that you're looking for, some of the things that you need to validate before, you know, giving the green light to just take on that market? How, how are you testing the water there? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things about us is that we're, we're pretty lightweight in terms of our business model. We don't have to deploy a ton of capital to, to open up a new market. So we can be pretty aggressive in terms of experimentation, which is which is cool. The things that I look at are pretty straightforward. You know, how big is the commercial real estate market? What does the turn- turnover look like? How fast is it growing? And then who are the constituents of that market, right? So a product like ours, you know, we tend to focus on what we call small and medium-sized businesses. So we define that roughly as, you know, companies with 20 to 250 people or with, you know, their leasing space is smaller than 50,000 square feet, say. Um, so I look at that kind of segment of the market and how what proportion of the overall market that represents. And then, you know, to the extent that there's a lot of a large technology presence there, this is a product that tends to resonate a lot with, with companies like ours, right, who are early adopters of new ways of doing things, who love the technology angle. Uh, that's not to say that all of our clients are that way, but I tend to bias towards markets where there's a, a sort of large technology presence. So then with Next Step, then, are you deploying a small project team from New York to go and, you know, onboard that market? Or what does that Next Step look like? What you're describing, this expansion model is, is actually kind of similar to the conversations I've had with Trunk Club and Bonobos with the clubhouse and the guide shop, where they are going from the click to brick model and, and they are very lightweight with those experiences. And so I'm just kind of curious what your experiences or your strategy is like with deploying this new store. The key thing for us, if you think about, there's a lot of things that excite me about this business, but one of the things that excites me the most is that we're creating a new way of working for industry professionals who, you know, if you were an architect or a designer five years ago, you'd have basically come out of design school and then worked your way up the totem pole at a big design firm. And you'd have not made very much money and you wouldn't have gotten any credit over the IP of your design. We're presenting those people with an alternative, right? So finding that they're coming to us in large numbers uh, because this is a way for them to get paid more and to effectively take ownership of their work and build their own personal brand as an architect or a blooming designer. And that's awesome. The challenge there is that we're not plugging into big firms. We're looking for those people who are kind of spinning out of those firms. And so that means that our service provider network is is pretty localized, right? So I can't just transport the network that I built in New York to Boston. I've got to go to Boston and build that network. And so the first key hire for me in the new market, the thing that I'm looking for is who's somebody who both understands this industry inside and out and also has that local network that I can just tap into immediately. And so uh, that's kind of what I'm looking for. And, and that's really the only barrier to entry is, is finding that person per market. And then we're off to the races, essentially. Very interesting. This is definitely overused, but it's almost like the uberfication of it, <laughs> where you're not looking to partner with taxi companies, but you're looking to partner with individuals that... Yeah. That, yeah. And so... I wanted to also get some insight into some of the the hurdles that you've overcame to get here. And I know you've you've probably touched on a couple of them with the expansion here, but what are some of the most recent major hurdles that you've overcame uh, that helped you to scale to this next level? There's a really obvious one, right? Which is if you think about office design, right? If you were a series A or a series B or even a series C funded company, Investing in your new office space is one of the scariest and most expensive things you've ever done. And it also has such high stakes for your employees and their well-being and their happiness and retention. 
So getting people to trust you with that is not a trivial thing, right? And being a relative newcomer on this scene presents a challenge. So, you know, overcoming that in the initial days was was a tough thing. You know, fortunately, we surrounded ourselves with amazing professionals, some of whom are actually permanent employees of ours who have helped us build out the practice for architecture and design, helped us grow and scale those networks. So we have their kind of body of work to leverage and say, look, you're effectively getting this level of experience. Here's the projects we've, we've, our team has collectively worked on in the past. But overcoming that initial trust issue was, was kind of the biggest hurdle in the very early days. But now that we've kind of grown to a point that we have that body of work as a work frame ourselves, that's less of an issue. So it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. You know, you've got to get the clients to demonstrate that you know what you're doing uh, for somebody to entrust you with, you know, a big decision like this. But until you get the clients, you can't demonstrate that. Um, so, so that was the, the problem that we had to solve. If you wouldn't mind sharing a couple of those tactics that, that helped the biggest, that would be really helpful. Tactics in terms of overcoming that challenge? Yeah. So as I said, you know, one of the first people I hired, just kind of acknowledging this very obvious issue, was a designer from Rockwell Group, which is one of the most prestigious design firms in the world. And... She came on board and immediately started going out and seeing clients. And actually, in the early days, before we built out the network, she was hustling and she was actually serving as the interior designer on those projects um, while recruiting other people to kind of join the network on the side. So there was a lot of a lot of that in the early days. And then I had a sustained focus on growing the team by bringing in people with really long track records of being excellent in this industry, whether they're architects interior designers, construction project managers, just people who know what they're doing, who come to work frame and say, I've done this job for 20 years, but this is the way forward. And I know that. And so for me, a lot of overcoming that challenge was building that core team of people to give us the credibility out there in the world that we needed uh, to be successful. And so we, we have that team in place. And that was a huge piece of us being able to, to overcome that initial hurdle. I see. So really that, that credibility hurdle was the big one, but then you hired the right people that already had that established. And then by association that allowed you to bypass that hurdle. And, and now you have enough equity built up, credibility equity built to where it's not a hurdle anymore. That's right. And, and we also have uh, a completed body of work, like products that we've completed that we can actually point to now. Right. But, you know, for me, it was also a hugely validating thing to be able to go out to say, you know, the top project management firms and recruit a senior executive to come work with us. Because they see the opportunity here. And the same thing we've seen time and again on, you know, from commercial real estate brokers and architects and designers, we were able to go out and talk to them um, and they get the model immediately. And it just resonates really strongly. So it was both important in terms of bidding, building credibility in the marketplace, but also for me, really important in terms of just validating the kind of sheer scope and magnitude of what we were doing. So that was a hugely important thing. And so with that and getting to where you are now, what, what do you think is now the biggest hurdle that's preventing WorkFrame from scaling? There's still some elements of the platform that we're building out, but I, you know, it's, it's 90% of the way there. There's a lot to be done um, to facilitating our scalability. That's we're making rapid progress on that. So that's not a long-term barrier. You know, I think that uh, getting the word out in, in new markets uh, is, is going to be a big one. You know, how do we effectively build up brand awareness in a marketplace uh, that's not New York. We don't have that established track record and kind of immediately pop into a market without experiencing the same sort of hurdle that I just described. Other thing that I'm that I'm really focused on. And then I guess the third thing is, you know, businesses like ours have pretty long sales cycles. If you think about the kind of ideal customer for us or any customer really, 
they're executing a lease and that process takes time and we need to catch them at just the right moment in terms of their thinking about this. And then that process drags on for a long time. And, you know, filling the funnel with those types of opportunities can take quite a long time. Once you've got enough of them, then they start closing very rapidly. And so I think that as we move into new markets, we're going to have that top of funnel problem just because this the nature of this industry is such that there are long lead times in terms of sales and your sales cycle tends to tends to drag on. Gotcha. So it sounds so it sounds like throwing more volume at it will create that consistency, predictability. That's right. Throwing more volume at it and opening up new channels, which is another thing we're thinking heavily about. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you if you if you considered something like that, you know, new, new services or channels and and anything that you've seen traction with or you're really interested in it. Yeah, I think, you know, what we're doing has a lot of appeal to the, the kind of commercial real estate brokerage community. If you think about it from a broker's perspective, if it's a 10,000 square foot client, I should actually back up a second. This market is fundamentally unfair. So if you're looking for 10,000 square feet, say you've got, you know, 100 employees, uh, you are not going to get the same level of service in the marketplace that you would get if you came to work with us. And the reason is, you know, none of the big firms can sort of support their businesses. Their overhead and cost structures are such that they just don't make enough money on a 10,000 square foot project to really invest heavily in giving them kind of turnkey service. So when we go to a broker and say, hey, that 10,000 square foot deal you're chasing, we can help you get that across the line sort of effortlessly because we can be there alongside you to add a ton of value and make this process as easy as possible for the client. That resonates for, with them big time. So we found that that is a really interesting sort of partnership opportunity because kind of reaching out to people in the brokerage community, getting them to send us uh, leads and vice versa. You know, over time, you know, the, the aspiration for us is that when somebody thinks about finding new space for their business, they don't think, let me call my broker first. They think, I'm going to call Workframe first because Workframe knows the best broker for me, given the type of company I am and the kind of market that I operate in and where I want to be. Um, and so that's a symbiotic relationship where over time we can send them business and they can send us business. And it's that's been a really valuable channel for us. And so you mentioned, you know, that one of the second things that you're looking at that's, prohib- that's prohibiting this scaling is that technology piece. And uh, I'm curious how mobile ties into this. And as you're, you know, ramping up the technology, if, if mobile enables this in a certain way or with your expansion and, and brand awareness, if you have a play there. I'm just yeah, I, I thought you'd ask that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's something we're really focused on internally. So let me just let me give you an example of the way things work today. Tell you, I think this will make it really obvious about how mobile could play into, into completely changing the way that the industry works. So. Um, today, you will go out as a designer and give a presentation to a client and it will be, a, you know, here's some furniture we could specify. And, and the client will say, oh, I like this sofa, but I don't really like that desking system. Can you go change those? And the designer will go away, uh, recalculate the price, uh, come back with another presentation a week later, and they'll go through that process several times. And what they'll find is, oh, we've respecified that one piece of furniture, but guess what? That thing has a 12-week lead time, not a four-week lead time. So now the product is delayed and we're over budget by X percent. You can imagine a world where those kinds of decisions happen in real time. So you have a designer who's on a client site delivering their presentation on a mobile device using our technology. And they're saying, you know what, I prefer an alternate there for that desking system. What do you have? And they can swap through options and immediately see what the impacts are to their projects, right? So that means we're going to spend X percent more than we wanted to. That means that our timeline got pushed out by three weeks, whatever those things are. And that just leads to better decision making and better outcomes. And it also reduces a ton of friction in that process and drives efficiency, which drives cost down. 
So the outcome there is, is better all around. And the same thing applies. I just gave the example of a designer specifying furniture. You can imagine you have a contractor walking through a site and the client decides actually we want to move that conference room to the other side of the, of the space. Those problems are magnified tenfold. So you can imagine everybody leveraging technology to kind of make informed decisions about is it really worth doing that or not? And what if, if so, what are the actual financial and sort of temporal costs of doing that? So mobile is a huge thing that we're focused on. You know, in the future, we imagine a world where all of our service providers are using our, our technology in the field on mobile devices. I see. That definitely, I think, enables the better experience. And then are you thinking of a way to use mobile with help to help with expansion and brand awareness to for like a user acquisition, data acquisition channel, or more so just for utility value add through the experience? Primarily the latter. Um but I wouldn't rule out the former. I mean, we were always looking for new ways to reach potential customers. Um, there could be a play there, but it's not something that I've, I've really spent a lot of time thinking about. And so what are you anticipating the future of WorkFrame looking like, you know, with the advancement of digital and, and mobile? And, and I think that, you know, with interior design, there's something to be said about AR and VR playing into it. Is there anything that you are particularly excited about? We think about that stuff all the time. You can imagine a world where we're already starting to do this, but... You can go out and essentially take photographs of a space, or you can imagine in a larger space having a drone fly through and film things, and being able to turn that into essentially data that you can you can basically do full cost estimations on. You can uh, you can effectively reduce the number of touch points that it takes to get a project done in terms of service providers interfacing with clients. I think there's a ton of of opportunity there. You know, around VR, imagine you know virtual walkthroughs of spaces after the designers kind of specified stuff and laid out the floor plan and getting approvals that way. I just think the the kind of adjacent fields of AR and VR and all of those things are uh, super exciting and coming online right around the time that we're going to be able to start leveraging them. So I think there's just a ton of opportunity there. So between the, you know, the drone estimating and AR VR, because I know there's, there's currently drone companies popping up left and right that are doing similar things and, you know, AR and VR has kind of been a promise for, you know, like 15 years or plus now. And so I'm curious, out of out of all the possibilities that you're imagining, if there's one that you think is going to be happening nearest term? Yeah, it's a good question. You think VR is that far out? Uh, no, you know, I don't think it may be that far out. But I mean, it's just been talked about for so long. It's been promised for so long. And computing power is, is just still isn't there. We've seen the signs there, right, with Oculus and Google Cardboard and all of these things. I mean, we we've even kind of played with it internally. I know our CTO is really excited about that. It's kind of the next frontier with what we'll be able to do with, with technology. I'd say that that's probably, if I had to choose one thing, that's that's probably the thing we're paying on to the most. It's something that okay. can really transform, completely transform the way that the industry works, um, even more so than what we're trying to do today, which is a really nice addition to, to the kind of technology product that we're offering. Well, sweet. Yeah, I mean, I definitely will link to your guys' website and, and the different articles that you guys come out with so that we can keep in touch with that because this is obviously really fascinating to a lot of us and with a lot of the the digitally native vertical brands and, and some of the things that you're doing that are relevant to those. I think that there's just a lot of ties that that could be cool to how things can be rethought and reapplied. Definitely. And then with this, uh, I also want to give you an opportunity to talk about some of the cool things that you guys are working on that you want to tout. So what is the coolest thing you're working on right now that you want everyone to check out? Well, we're kind of coming out with B2.0 of our software platform. Basically, this is a thing that's it's, it's gated, so you can only access if you're a client, unfortunately. But if you want to become a client, uh, you know where to reach me. 
But essentially, you know, to date, what it's been, a re- it's, it's really been about looking at a timeline, understanding what, what key decisions need to be made, keeping everybody accountable, uh, you know, looking at your floor plan, being able to comment on it in real time and make decisions that lead to approvals. The next thing that we're layering into that is um, the ability to once, a, once you have an approved floor plan for your office space, you can start to then specify furniture and equipment directly over that and kind of make approvals that way. And the thing that I just described to you when you asked me about mobile, about being able to say, what if I changed this one element? What if I had this desking system instead of that one? Um, how does that impact my project overall? That stuff that's right around the corner and I think uh, is going to drive just enormous efficiency and help us both achieve scale, but also save our clients a lot of money. And I think that's, a, that's going to be a hugely impactful uh, innovation in terms of our product. So Robert, where should we go to keep track of WorkFrame and some of the innovations you guys are coming out with? Check our blog, uh, blog.workframe.com. We, we update that sort of religiously. That's a great place to go. You can follow us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. WorkFrameHQ is the handle. Definitely keep tabs on us. Keep tabs on us that way. Awesome. Yeah, I will link to all of these in the show notes too. So everyone can go and, and check those out there. Um, and I'll tout the, the link following this. Yeah, make sure to go check out blog.workframe.com. Also, all the social channels, WorkFrameHQ, at WorkFrameHQ. Make sure to also tune in this Friday to our rapid fire round where Robert is going to be sharing some of his most valuable resources. And Robert, thank you so much for the time today and for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for a conversation with Nick Boo, Senior VP at Adidas Group. And I'm always happy to be a resource in any way that I can. So visit EmergeMobileFirst.com to reach out to me directly or for additional insights, resources, and bonus tools that can help catapult your organization to the next level. Until next time, think mobile first.